the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sadly, so much of our time, um, if any time, is given on the Feast of the Holy Family to the Word of God and the readings. Um, It's usually about uh, either uh, avoiding um, the, the... sacred texts that refer to the responsibilities of husbands and wives and parents uh, vis-a-vis their children and each other. Um, uh, The longer form of the first reading uh, sometimes never gets heard. It uh, it shouldn't, or uh, the longer form of the second reading Uh, It goes like this. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands as is proper to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and avoid any bitterness toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children so that they may not become discouraged. There there are lots of churches where uh, those words don't even get heard because they're optional. That's the longer form of the reading. But even, even still, it'd be easy for me to give you my 45-minute marriage prep conversation about um, husbands and wives and how wives, wives don't really want a husband who's incapable of being the one obeyed because that ends up being the baby that has to be raised along with the other children. But that's not even the focus of the readings today. It's It's... We forget, along with so much of the rest of Western civilization that has been um, turned into something toxic as of late, that these words of sacred scripture weren't even issuing a new teaching. This, this was not the interesting part of those readings. What was interesting about these readings is how it connects the mystery of Christ and his church to the mystery of of marriage. And so it's especially in Ephesians 5 that has to be read in conjunction with everything else that we hear St. Paul say very clearly and beautifully to husbands and wives, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. The next three lines are addressed to, um, to wives in a way that um, occasionally um, gets uh, some attention. Uh, and the next seven lines are addressed to husbands. Be subject to one another. In the fear of Christ, let women be subject to their husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of his body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so also let wives be to their husbands in all things. Now verse 25 and continuing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and delivered himself up for it, that he might sanctify it cleansing it by the labor of water and the word of life, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So also ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as also Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be two in one flesh. This is a great sacrament, but I speak of Christ and the church. 2,000 years ago, what was jaw-dropping was not wives be subordinate to your husbands. That, that, would, that wasn't news 2,000 years ago. What was news 2,000 years ago, and what is news now? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Sacrifice your life for her. Be willing to die as Christ died on the cross. Actively love her. So and every young engaged couple can eventually be cajoled to recognize that this, the pattern in which a good relationship can be unraveled by no great sin. And what's the pattern? He's not involved. He's disengaged. He thinks that by virtue of not having done anything bad, he's being good. She takes um, the vacuum of interaction and creates something of that. He regards that as uh, uh, something aggressive or nagging, which causes him to retreat further. And she engages even more eagerly, which causes him to disengage even uh, to a greater extent. St. Paul recognizes that unraveling of a good relationship just by virtue of the scar tissue of original sin. And he wants that never to happen, especially to a Christian couple. And what's the key? Husbands actively love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's what's new and interesting and beautiful. And so the, the, think about how the Bible wouldn't really need to encourage people to, to, to do what they already knew 2,000 years ago. What is the new part? The new part is Christ having entered into the world and the relationship of Christ and his church. What's especially beautiful during the Christmas season and worthy of attention on the Feast of the Holy Family, is that it is Christ, it is God himself who is incarnate and born into the world, who is living out this mystery, who reveals the amazing beauty of it. He's in, he, he's in the, the crib in Nazareth, having been born in Bethlehem. They come back to Jerusalem every year for the annual festival. Maybe on the first year back, maybe on the second year back, he's almost a toddler. And the three wise men visit. And we see that the, the world does not welcome the Savior as much as we do. Herod wants to have this child killed. The boy must flee to Egypt with his mother and his father. It's in that annual cycle of pilgrimages to Jerusalem that we see then, years later, he's a young man, or an older boy, and he's lost for three days. But they find him in the temple, <clears throat> which is going to be the image of his body, which will be destroyed and raised up on the third day. He's asking brilliant questions. 
His mother and father had been looking around for him anxiously. Eventually, they find him, and he says, don't you know that I had to be in my father's house? He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he will, he will come to fulfill the will of his father, to die for us on the cross. In the meantime, he is obedient to his mother and father. He grows in grace and wisdom and stature. He became obedient to human beings. Mary, the Blessed Virgin, the most sublime of all human creatures, was subordinate to Joseph. And when we can get over the idea of obedience being a bad thing and recognize that in any given situation, we all have to and want to obey someone, whether it be the person who happens to be driving the car at the moment or the person who's running TSA security at that given point in time, or even the person who's running the cash register, or the policeman who's directing traffic during a power outage. We don't begrudge having to obey people. What we do begrudge is people who are not worthy of the obedience that we have to give them. So when we can get over that hurdle, we recognize something beautiful in the Holy Family, something just absolutely shockingly humble. In the incarnate word, being obedient to a human being, to his mother, who's the most perfect of all human beings. And she is obedient to St. Joseph, who's a man who is fortunately responsive to the directions that are sent him from heaven through the angels that see him in his dreams. The, the nativity scene depicts something that's, that's so much more glorious than uh, the most perfect of human births. This is the humility and, and tenderness of God. And it doesn't end there. Because God enters into your life, he enters into my life in such a way as, as to make himself, you can even say, obedient to us. He doesn't intrude. He doesn't demand. He doesn't shout at us. He doesn't, he doesn't force us to pray. He doesn't force us to obey our conscience. But he's always there. And he is as active and as involved as we permit him to be. Yesterday at a funeral, we've had many funerals this week and will in the weeks to come, we heard that beautiful reading, neither death nor life nor principalities nor angels nor past things nor future things can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can of its own power separate us from the love of God, but we can let any of it separate us from the love of God if we so choose. We can permit it. We can permit the slightest thing to, se to separate us from the love of God. God does not force himself on us. He is obedient to you. 
He spends as much time with you as, uh, as you ask him to. And so in this humble arrival into our lives, it, 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 it prompts us to, to, to go out of our way to invite him in, to, to, to spend time with him, to speak with him, to hold him, to love him, to adore him, to worship him. Because he's willing to be ignored, as he is by most of us. God has made himself obedient to you. We ask the Lord then to help us realize the the way he has made us dispensers of his grace and the manner in which he has permitted us to obstruct the grace that he sends us in our own hearts. And we beg him to give us the grace to love him as Joseph and Mary did and to obey him as the apostles did. And in the meantime, to give due honor to all those who in the world mediate the grace and love and the power and the authority of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.